2: Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices.
1: Today's cool fact of the day is that your poor taste buds only live for 10 days before they get replaced. I guess it's a lot of work to be a taste bud. What
2: if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try quantum upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a
1: seven-day free trial. Today I'm interviewing Pooja Lakshman, Chief Science Officer at One Taste. If you've heard my talk about orgasms, you can see why I've been really excited about the show because Pooja is a a biohacker focused on orgasms, uh, which is way cool. I'm also excited because Pooja went to the same school I did. She went to the University of Pennsylvania and studied neuroscience and has been a working psychiatrist at Stanford. And She experienced something called orgasmic meditation, which Nicole Dadon has pioneered, and started really working on it to the point that today she's at Rutgers working with Dr. Barry Komasurak studying the sensory map of the limbic system to identify the specific areas of the brain that are targeted by this type of orgasmic meditation. Now, how could I resist interviewing you, Pooja? Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: It is my pleasure, so to speak. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what is orgasmic meditation? How is this different from the normal orgasms that people have in the bedroom?
3: Sure. So, orgasmic meditation is—it's a fifteen-minute practice where a stroker, typically a man, strokes the upper left-hand quadrant of a woman's clitoris, and there's no goal. It's a goalless practice. So, um, your only job as the stroker and as the strokey is to feel sensation in your body. So, it's basically um, using orgasm. As uh, a way to train the ba- the brain and the nervous system to feel sensation.
1: Now I can see how this might be really fun for a woman. I could even see how it might be a lot of fun for a man. But you know, certainly we're not talking about sex at all here. What does it do for women specifically versus men? Like, what are the what does the woman get out of this? Let's, we'll start there and talk about kind of what each partner gets.
3: Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, so really what it does, and I can talk about my own experience, um, with orgasmic meditation. I started doing the practice, I guess it's been about a year and a half ago, um, And for me, it was like, I'm a physician, you know, so I'd been trained, like I went through medical school, like it's like my cortex is huge, like the part of my brain that's always (laughs) thinking and judging, you know, to get through medical school, to become a doctor, it's like you have to have a really big cortex. And like, you don't, the part of your brain that actually has you connect with people, your limbic system, which is the full one third of the brain that has you um it's like your intuition right it's the part that has you be able to read people and um it's like experiential memory all those things that normally if you're someone that's like on this straight and narrow path um you don't really give much credence to it so there's that and then it's also for me it was like um i was a woman you know i was a physician i was married actually at the time i got divorced and i I didn't know how to feel pleasure. I mean, I didn't actually know how to feel anything because I was thinking so much. So what orgasmic meditation did for me was actually enable me to go into my body, which was was totally scary. I mean, it was terrifying. It was awful. Um, And actually feel pleasure. I mean, feel pain, you know, because I think you actually, the places in the brain that are activated during pleasure, are actually the same places that are activated during pain. Um, And what we see with orgasm, which what we're finding at Rutgers is that these areas in the brain are are the same. So it's like, you can't just, um, you can't only feel the good. You have to feel the good and the bad. And what this practice does is it really enables women to fully be able to receive pleasure.
1: You said something pretty interesting there. First, I have to tweet this. You know, I have a really big cortex. Like, like that—that that is the coolest, like, like brag I've ever heard. So, <laughs> I, I might even have to borrow that from you sometime. Now, you also said that that you didn't know how to feel. All right, I, I totally resonate with that because when I was about thirty, um, I did some personal growth thing, and like after three days of, of this going, like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Someone pointed out, does your stomach feel different? I'm like, yeah, there's a different feeling in there. And like, yeah, that's called fear. I'm like, really? Is, Is that what that is? Like, I truly was disconnected from like the signals my body was sending me. And I've since trained myself differently. But I think the average person listening to this right now may not quite believe or understand the concept of being disconnected from your feelings like that. Like, can you go into a little bit more as to Number one, what what does that really mean? And number two, why is stroking the side of the clitoris going to fix that?
3: Totally. Yeah. I mean, it seems crazy. You know, to any rational person, it seems completely weird. Um, and there's a couple different components. So it's like um, the nervous system actually has a voluntary component and an involuntary component. So when you hear people talking about your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous systems, that's actually your involuntary. It's a visceral nervous system. So it's the nerves that are innervating like your stomach or your heart or your gut, you know, all of these involuntary components, your genitals. And we think really that sensation, you know, is feeling what's going on in your body. It's it's actually the same thing. Feeling your own internal sensation enables you to then train that part of your nervous system so then you can feel external sensation. You can feel other people as well. And and that's what we mean by training limbic capacity, being able to feel what's going on in your own body and then feel what's going on with someone else. Um, And the way that we're sort of disconnected From it is essentially, you you know, you have this big part of your brain, the neocortex, that is, we call it um, the uh, self-referential part of the brain. So Norman Farb's research group out of the University of Toronto has done a a ton of work on mindfulness meditation. And they found that people that have a mindfulness practice um, actually spend more time in their limbic system, in their experiential brain versus the narrative brain which is your cortex so that actually turns off when you're meditating so like all of this constant um worrying or judging or like thinking about the future you know like the stock market or like real estate or what you're gonna make for dinner all these things that sort of turns off and then you you're in the part of your brain and your nervous system that actually has you be able to feel fear or feel um that hey like my my finger is warm or my genitals are tingly and things like that.
1: So, so the fear and desire part of the brain, you're kind of talking exactly. about there. Yeah. Okay. And it's your, your research is showing that those parts of the brain are either under exercised or underdeveloped in the Western world. Is that kind of the direction you're heading?
3: Well, you know, that's what I think. Because what happens is that um, I think in the Western world, people really, I mean, we have a lot of conditioning and, you know, Nicole talks about this as well. We have this conditioning that from an early age, sex is bad. You know, you don't talk sex. You don't, um, you don't really, you try not to think about it, even though it's all everyone can think about, but you know, you don't talk about it, it's bad, whatever, (laughs) but it's actually a huge part of our nervous system, you know, and it's actually something that's such a huge component, the somatosensory cortex or the, the, the area of the brain that, um is connected to the genitals is also connected to the limbic system. So when your genitals are stimulated, your limbic system gets stimulated. And when we don't when we sort of have trained ourselves not to think about these things, it's actually inhibiting our connection to other people as well.
1: Now, is that the same for men and women?
3: So it's a good question. And one of the things that we're actually looking at with this, we're actually um, running male orgasm studies. So this, this summer we were running women. So we had women coming into the MRI, to the fMRI having orgasms. I actually went in the scanner a couple of weeks ago with our master stroker, Ken Blackman, and had two orgasms in the MRI, which was... It, that
1: guy must have the best job ever, I, I have to say.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty, I, I actually, it was interesting for me because I, For the first time, I understood what men feel like. Like I had so much performance anxiety, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I give this specific task. But yes, now we're actually we're going to be starting studies looking at men and looking at what happens when men are stroking their genitals, looking at prostate stimulation, urethral stimulation, male orgasm, because the thing is that um, people don't know. I mean, there's actually only two labs in the world that are studying orgasm our lab at Rutgers and then another lab in the Netherlands. Um, So it's like, we're just starting to learn about this, which is crazy because it's, it's, I mean, this is like sex. This is, everyone does it, but, yeah. but we're just starting to learn about it. And my thought and what we know so far is that um, men and women actually are a lot more similar than they are different in terms of the brain. But if you look
1: at like, what happens in utero you know, the formation of the genitals and all like they come from the same original nervous system tissue and they differentiate differently. But going back to when the nervous system is wired, you'd think there's going to be some commonality there, but that little testosterone difference <laughs> its <isn't laughs> not neurological necessarily. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what also happens is that men have different sort of um, conditioning or psychological conditioning, Than women do so men are taught to experience sex in a certain way you know so if you look at um, if a man isn't satisfied with his partner or with his sex life typically he turns to porn which is you know generally someone watching someone else experience orgasm and then getting turned on by that whereas women if they're not satisfied typically they turn to vibrators or you know a mechanical device so, so women are actually wanting direct stimulation, whereas men are getting turned on by watching someone else in orgasm. But
1: isn't that usually followed by direct stimulation too? It, 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 it's sort of yeah. like, are you aroused in your head or are you aroused you know, in, in your pants, I guess?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, one of the studies that, that what we found is that actually just thinking about sex or thinking about an erotic situation actually activates the same part of your brain. So it activates the genital cortex and it activates the limbic structures, which is which is interesting.
1: There was a study I came across recently looking at uh, neurological activation when men and women looked at different types of sex. And they, very surprisingly in this study, found that women tended to get turned on by pretty much any kind of sex. Like, it didn't really matter. Animals having sex, yeah, that's, that's vaguely sexy. You know, guys having sex, with each other, that's vaguely sexy women, that's vaguely sexy, you know, a table, that's vaguely sexy, like, but pretty much anything that was vaguely sexy was, was like, okay, like, there's something there, whereas guys were much more preferential, at least when they were watching, but it could be different for thinking or hearing or, or other senses like that. Is that a, a part of what, part of what you look at or part of what you've come across in your research?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because, um, Women, I think, are taught like not to be to think it's bad if you're aroused. Mm -hmm. So I I think I I actually looked at that study. So women actually are more easily aroused. But then if you ask women, they'll say like, no, I'm not turned on. I'm not aroused. And they sort of convert it into like anger or irritation or they don't themselves actually feel the pleasure. Whereas um, men, men you know, have these different preferences, but then they'll actually say like, yeah, I'm aroused. So, so we haven't actually looked at that yet. And that's an interesting topic.
1: Yeah. I'm intrigued to hear kind of where that ends up, but you're also further down the path because you're looking at orgasm specifically. Now, the tantric equations that I studied when I did my N equals one experiment said that for guys anyway, that you should limit your orgasm to once a month and no more than, I think it was no more than an hour. It might have been no more than a half hour uh, if you want to maintain your health. Like a half hour orgasm for a guy. Is that, is that legit?
3: <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. But, um, you know, there's actually been research that says um, the more frequent men ejaculate, the lower incidence of prostate cancer. Yep. So, so I don't know about this, this tantric thing.
1: Well, I, I can tell you, I don't have any idea how it would be possible for you to measure the length of your own orgasm beyond like a little while. But I know from personal experience that eight and a half minutes was very doable, and <laughs> it was. It's actually painful. Like you, you can't ejaculate as a guy for eight and a half minutes. Um, that wouldn't work. But physical convulsions that are pleasurable for a while aren't that pleasurable when you're done. Um, to the point that like I had to consciously like stop and like start breathing exercises just to like quit like my abs hurt sort of things Uh, not to get like into TMI land Um, (laughs) but I was kind of shocked that this sort of thing was, was possible and I also questioned those prostate studies around cancer because I don't know if they're looking at frequency of sex versus frequency of ejaculation and you know if you don't ejaculate but you have sex is that a different outcome because certainly fluids move around in there Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I can certainly say that my physical energy level went up a lot when I became conscious that, you know, hey, I'm more tired for a day or two after I ejaculate versus just have really good sex.
3: Right. Well, what we do know, so there's a couple things. Um, So the difference between climax versus orgasm. And and one of the things that we teach with OM, with orgasmic meditation, is that there's this huge, um, orgasm is, is a huge, a broad event. So climax is just one piece of it. Climax being either ejaculation or sort of like going over this sharp cliff. Whereas you can just take that whole, just from the start of stimulation to the end of climax, there's this whole spectrum. And, um, during climax specifically, like when you ejaculate, you have this huge release of dopamine in the brain, so the part of the brain that gets activated, the nucleus accumbens, releases dopamine. And dopamine is pleasure; it's reward. It's you know, um, if you take a drug like cocaine or something, that releases dopamine. So, and you get this hangover, like you get you get this huge high, and then you crash. So, you know, that could explain why after ejaculation, you sort of get this energy dump versus if you're just experiencing orgasm, you're able to build that sensation and like build your capacity and, and, and sort of um, expand. It's more expansive. And we think that might be related to oxytocin and, and that's something that we're looking at because we know that during orgasm, oxytocin is released in the brain. So that's another big piece of it.
1: It certainly oxytocin has a lot to do with happiness in men and women, right? Uh, Going to dopamine, though, dopamine is a neurotransmitter, kind of a stimulatory one. I've read a few theoretical pieces that say that frequent exposure to porn or even like video games, any sort of really stimulatory activity consistently like pushes on your dopamine. And they're theorizing things like dopamine resistance. Like if you watch porn and you know masturbate all the time, that literally one reason people, especially guys, get attracted to more and more bizarre porn over time is, is potentially dopamine resistance and is that something that you've come across in your research or something that you think might be legit or is this just like ramblings that I came across while figuring out whether I should try my experiment?
3: (laughs) No, I mean I think that that's accurate. Dopamine is linked to addiction. So basically um, when you do any sort of super pleasurable or like risky activity, you get this surge of dopamine. But your um, receptors become um, tolerant to it, so you keep needing more and more, higher and higher levels of dopamine to get the same effect, like the same feeling. Um, so, and and that's that's how addiction happens: tolerance. And then and then we take it away, you get withdrawal. So, really, what OM does is it's it's actually a way to train your attention so that you can receive lighter and lighter pressure like lighter and lighter strokes or um lighter and lighter like you don't need as much craziness in sex or like you don't need as much like you don't need all the sex toys and like all the lingerie and all that stuff it's just actually like you take it down to the bare bones and like it feels just as like it feels even better because you're so sensitive
1: So so you sort of hack your nervous system sensitivity so that, you know, the act of sex is, is maybe simpler, um, but, or maybe less vigorous, you could say, but your pleasure is much higher because you've turned on your nervous system all the way.
3: Exactly. So you're actually, you can feel so much more so that even, you know, um, even just like even, like, getting a text message that's like, hey, how are you? Like, you feel that, you know? Like, it doesn't have wow. to be like, something dirty. Like, if you're connected to that person, like, you feel it, and, like, you're already there.
1: Wow. So you've just got, like, pretty much everyone who's listening to go, all right, I want to do this, including, I would say, every guy. Because, like, that's an enormous amount of power to put in a guy's hands. Like, you know, it, I think that, that that's um, that's something that guys would get out of, of. Bringing this into the relationship is just that connection with a woman, because you know there's a reason that women fake orgasms, because guys like to know that the woman had an orgasm, or just that the guys like to know that they've aroused you know the woman they're with. So to know that this increases that level of arousal, so a simple thing that's not even sex is you know it becomes sexy. I think that that generally guys like more routine sexy things throughout the day than women. I've even seen studies about that. But if it kind of equalizes the playing field there, which it sounds like it might, like that could do interesting things for a relationship. I, I haven't tried this, you know, particular like defined step practice, but certainly I'm familiar with it. So is that the case? I mean, does it bring relationships closer together? Like what does it do?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all um, stems from this limbic, from the limbic system, from limbic connection really, because what it does is that when you stroke your partner, your nervous system becomes in tune with, with hers. And you find that you're able to, I mean, essentially what the limbic system is, is it's sort of like this under the radar connection where you don't even actually have to be in the same room. You don't even have to be touching each other, but you can feel each other. And evolutionarily, I mean, that's what humans have developed. Like we've developed this huge part of our brain to do that, you know, And, and there's studies looking at like babies and mothers and how, when, um, you know, the baby's taken away from the mother, the heart rate changes, and then when you bring them back together, the heart rate stabilizes. And so essentially, it's like you, you train your brain to be in tune with your partners, and then you have this um, direct communication that doesn't really need, like it doesn't need the higher cortical function. Like you can sort of skip the cortex and just communicate between involuntary.
1: So you said you can feel each other when you're in different rooms. Do you know, is that like a chemical signaling, magnetic? Uh, like what's the mechanism of the communication there?
3: That's a good question. I think that it's sensation-based. So what, during Ohm, what happens is you go on this 15-minute journey, right? He's stroking you, you feel all these sensations and it encodes in your brain. The limbic system encodes experiential memory. So it's memory where... You know, if you're scuba diving and you think about it again, you know, you can feel the water, you can see all the colors. It's something that's very experiential. Same thing with OM. It's the part of your brain that has you feel all these sensations. So then when you're communicating, you're already in that state. You've already had that connection with your partner. So you're able to just go back into it.
1: Well, that's, that's amazing. All right, is heart rate variability something you track?
3: So that's yeah, that's a great question. That's something that we actually uh, are wanting to look at because it's it's linked with parasympathetic drive, vagal tone, and during orgasm we know that the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems are both activated, and that's rare in human physiology for both to be activated simultaneously.
1: The, the reason I ask is that I've I'm an advisor to the Heart Math Institute and I've trained myself. I'm a certified coach in heart rate variability training. And I have an app, uh, the Bulletproof HRV Sense on the iPhone that works with a polar strap. So I'm more aware of my sympathetic versus parasympathetic state than the average bear. And one of the things that that let me have enough control to not have ejaculations when I didn't want to, but also when I did to have multiple minute uh, male orgasms was, I think, relative fine-tuned control of my heart rate variability like i was literally using the techniques that consciously raise heart rate variability in order to like control the nervous system in some way it would be really interesting potentially to look at heart rate variability in in both partners before and after um and to do a comparison between them because there is data that shows that heart rate variability between two people or between like a person who is going to ride a horse, and the horse, that they will synchronize, like the the HRV will synchronize, but not the heart rates, the number of beats per minute, and that this is detectable even at a distance. And the theory they have is that it's magnetic, but I'm – not sure it's magnetic, but we can show that this happens sometimes. We don't know why. And it, there's got to be a sexual connection in there too somewhere. I, I just don't know what it is. So please do more research on that because I want to know.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's great that you mentioned it. Actually, my, um, the head of our lab, Dr. Barry Pumasarik, he, he did his own. I don't know. I wonder if he'll be okay with me talking about this, but I'll just do it anyway. Um, <laughs> he, he hooked himself up to a polygraph while he was He did this when he was younger, um, when he was having sex, and during climax, he found that the the his heart rate uh, matched up with his partner's during climax. Yeah,
1: his heart rate or his heart rate variability? Just the rate?
3: rate. His heart rate.
1: Interesting. There's so much interesting biohacking to be done around around sex here. Okay, why the left side? You guys must have quantified left versus right.
3: Actually, it's interesting because, you know, the right side of the brain does more emotions. So the thought is that you're stroking the left side and maybe um, the right side becomes, of the brain becomes more activated. But we actually, you know, we're just starting to look at the different the mapping of the female genitals. And we're just starting to look at the, um, you know, the clitoris versus the vagina versus the cervix. So all these things are still up for debate. But when Nicole, you know, really kind of researched the practice, that was the side that they found had the most sensation, really.
1: So what do guys get out of this? I mean, we've talked about a little bit like the connection with a partner, but, you know, I'm assuming sometimes they're still fully dressed. So what's the male angle on this? Because you've done it enough times and you must have like some training or some kind of like, you know, what's in it for you kind of sales pitch. (laughs)
3: well so the the man is totally dressed so the the only article of clothing that's removed is the woman's pants the man is completely dressed and we say you know when you're oming it's you have a 15 minute practice and then if you're gonna if you're gonna have sex or if you're gonna do something else you close the container um and then you you do sex afterwards it's not oming isn't foreplay and in terms of what the men get out of it i mean they really get all of the same benefits as women. And I know it seems, it seems like that doesn't make sense, but it does. I mean, what we see is that men, when they start stroking, they actually start to feel the same sensations in their body that the women feel. So first they'll say like, oh, I felt some heat on my finger, or I felt this jolt of electricity that went up my arm. And then as their body turns on more and more, they start to experience sensation even in their genitals as well. I mean, sometimes men, when they're stroking, will feel genital uh, orgasm at the same time. So they get that, you know, they get that pleasure, and then they also get the ability to really feel women. So, so they can communicate in that same way that women do. So like we talked about in the beginning, kind of um, the limbic system and intuition you know like we say like women's intuition men are able to feel that so they don't have to kind of um navigate a woman's cortex as much
1: you're saying intuition around around providing the woman an orgasm or are you talking just intuition in general
3: no, just in general okay. i mean like relationship wise and 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 you know um i think the other thing that the practice does is it connects people to their desire so like i can say for me before I started doing the practice, I was very much like the kind of person that just did everything I was supposed to do, you know, like it didn't really matter what I wanted to do, but like I had to get straight A's and I had to go to an Ivy League school and I had to become a doctor and, you know, but once yeah. you start, doing this, once you start doing this practice, it's like all that goes away and you connect to like, what do I really want to do? Like, oh, I want to study orgasm. So and you,
1: you find your mission and you, you pay more attention to the, the subtle things in life you're saying.
3: Exactly. And, and men find that as well, just as much as women.
1: So, there's no question in my mind that intuition can be trained and I've never heard of training intuition this way, but it's really intriguing because even when I work with like Bulletproof executive coaching clients it's one of the most precious skills you know you can increase intelligence with various ways you can increase mitochondrial function which improves your sex life and your intelligence like you can you can do these things but intuition is one of the most precious things that you know the world's top investors have and when you ask them they're not just numbers guys they're numbers plus gut and this practice increases intuition in men and women
3: Yeah. And so what I like to say, actually, is that um, because we know that mindfulness, like meditation trains that part of the brain and essentially what orgasm does. So if you add orgasm to mindfulness is it takes you into your involuntary. Right. And it activates those same parts of the brain. Um, So it's sort of like it's kind of like meditation on speed because it just it it works so faster like it it heats up your system you know because you're dealing with desire you're dealing with sex all these things and it does i mean it trains your intuition and it trains the part of your nervous system that has you be able to respond quickly um and Mm -hmm. succinctly without having to think about things Uh,
1: looking back on it i'm I'm just thinking that the times when I was really doing my own set of experiments for about a year about that. Yeah. I I think there is a a meditative quality to that. Like I I don't know that you can do a practice like this without entering somewhat of an an altered, less thinking state and Hmm. that's very perceptive. Did you quantify intuition? Like, is there a way of saying it measured it by 52%? (laughs) Well,
3: I mean, we haven't really done that. And then, to be honest, when we say intuition, I mean how do you? My thought is that that means um, you know visceral sensation or, or visceral capacity. So feeling your own involuntary that that's how I define intuition.
1: That's but, where intuition appears to come from. Uh, I mean, I think there's debate over that. You could say, but yeah, th- there was a guy. Uh, Mark Devine, a former Navy SEAL commander who I had on the pod, uh, the podcast who runs SEAL Fit, just an amazing guy. And one of the things that, that experienced military guys will tell you is that, you know, when you're out in the field, if someone has you in their sights, you know, it like, it doesn't matter if they're a hundred yards away, you know, it, you feel a warmth sensation, like, like somehow, you know, and So I asked him flat out, like, is this BS? And he just laughed and said, no, like, it's a well-known phenomenon. We don't know why, but it's there. And that's one of those really concrete examples of intuition. You don't know why you know it, but you know it and it can save your life. Mm -hmm. So if we assume intuition is a real thing, the visceral system there, which you can measure even if someone's eyes are on the back of your head, it changes things. Um, I would love to see more. Around uh, uh, intuition and sex, I, I think there could be a huge amount of research to be done there. Um, I just, I guess that how do you quantify it in the first place is the really hard thing. But it, it would, it might be one of the more important things you would discover um, out of this practice or other orgasm research.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in is, and one way to measure it may be looking at because we know that if you use a certain part of the brain, it gets more blood flow. So all these areas of the brain that get activated during orgasm, they get a, a ton of blood flow. So does it? So does the genital somatosensory cortex get bigger as you do this practice and as you have more orgasms? And and therefore, do those areas of the brain, the the limbic system, does it get bigger? So so that's something that we're interested in looking at.
1: Okay, here's a badass experiment idea. You, you guys <laughs> use fMRI, um, uh-huh. but you don't use a radioactive dye with fMRI, right?
3: No, we don't.
1: Okay, so you're not. Are you getting metabolic activation with that, or you're getting more physical structure sort of things?
3: So you're getting. It's actually. It's interesting because it measures the delta. It actually measures change in blood flow to areas of the brain.
1: So it's blood flow based Um, Got it. So I did a spec scan a while back uh, and found all sorts of strange things about my brain, and. One of the things that really affects me and a, a lot of other people is increasing the amount of ketones in the brain. So I, I have a product that that goes straight to ketones. It's, uh, it's called Brain Octane, believe it or not. And you, you know I don't know if you've heard of Bulletproof Coffee. It, it's a recipe where you use coffee and some butter and all. And it's very much about fueling the brain as maximally as possible. So you can have glucose and ketones present at the same time. And neurons that can't use glucose can use ketones. And you get this like focused speed like energy that's amazing. It's also amazing in bed <laughs> because <laughs> you have literally more mitochondrial activation in the brain. I am seriously wondering right now if if orgasms in the presence of ketones, whether it's from nutritional intervention or from just adding, you know, this kind of stuff to your to your diet or to your coffee. I, I'm wondering have you looked at even like coenzyme Q10 and other mitochondrial activators? As potential orgasm simulators?
3: We, we haven't done that yet.
1: God, why not? That, that
3: sounds awesome. <laughs> do, you want,
1: do you want me to send you a bottle? Like I, totally. I'm like the master of mitochondrial hacking, just because I had my own disorders there that needed fixing. Um, okay, after the show, I'll get your address. I'll send you some. You don't have to ever say anything in public. I'm just I personally want to know because I, oh my god, I'm pretty sure that there's a big relationship there, and I never thought of it. So. <laughs> We're gonna boost all of your mitochondrial function as much as possible and put you back in the machine, <laughs> and then you can you can say if there's a difference because there has to be. All right. Anyway, I just thought of that and it's cool. <laughs> Let's see here. What happens in the man's brain during orgasm that's different than the woman's brain? I, I know you focus most of your research on women, but I also know you've got to study this because you know um, you're a neuroscientist. So. <laughs> we can-
3: ignore the men yeah. <laughs> um, so we're actually just starting to do the male orgasm studies we actually okay. just got the IRB approval for it which is great and, and Barry is super excited he was the first subject to go <laughs> in <laughs> the MRI which was really funny none of us wanted to go in that day
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm just imagining who got to write that IRB application <laughs> and, and like who got to review it and they're like <laughs> okay
3: <laughs> yeah but I mean, what we know so far is that there's actually a there in terms of the brain phenomenon mm-hmm. of what's going on with the brain. There's um, a lot more similarities than differences. So there's not anything that we can say is here's is a specific difference between men and women. But I think from you know what we've seen experientially with the way that men experience orgasm versus women is that men typically it's a lot easier for men to achieve achieve ejaculation or to achieve climax versus women. I think it's typically more difficult. I mean, I I had that experience that it was super hard for me to get to climax and only recently have I been able to like finally sink into my body enough to let that happen. And I think it's because, um, you know, the cortex just wants to come in and, and inhibit all of these different things, like, because really what climax is, is going out of control and surrendering completely. And then I think women have a much more difficult time, but that being said, I mean, I think men also want to experience a different type of pleasure. So, so they want orgasm and what they've been having is climax, you know?
1: Got it. So, so it's really good to differentiate between those two In the talks that I've given, it's really tough with a Western audience because those those are almost exactly the same thing. And earlier in our discussion, you mentioned it briefly, but can you go into really clear detail on the difference between climax or ejaculation versus orgasm, particularly in men, so that like they understand people listening understand the the nuances there.
3: Sure. So what we're saying that orgasm, we're basically saying orgasm is the beginning of being in the involuntary. So orgasm essentially is arousal. So it's when your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous systems are activated. You're in the involuntary, you get blood flow to your genitals, and you're fully in sensation. So that's, that's orgasm. And then we know that there's all of these different stages of orgasm, one of them being climax. And we also know that in the brain, orgasm is its a circuit. I mean, it's a full brain event. And at, at each different place in orgasm, there's different parts of the brain that are activated. So um, climax, you know, is ejaculation. So that's just like, that's the peak. So it's actually this whole, it's like a wave. And climax is, is one piece of it, is the peak. So aren't
1: you sort of just redefining sex as orgasm and then... Ejaculation is ejaculation because pretty much the the, it starts as soon as, like, oh, let's go to the bedroom. All right, like, (laughs) there's a little bit of blood flow, a little bit of arousal, and then like you just kind of go up from there. Is it that simple?
3: Um, I mean, what we're doing, I think, is redefining orgasm. So there's a different, once you start oming, um, and once you start to cultivate your orgasm, the way that you have sex is very different, just naturally, it becomes a lot slower. Um, and you need a lot less pressure because um, your body is a lot more sensitive. But but essentially, what we're doing is is redefining orgasm to to make it a lot bigger. To say that the moment your body turns on, the moment your involuntary system turns on, you're you're feeling orgasm in your genitals.
1: Got it. So you actually have enhanced your sensitivity, so it starts earlier. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I see the difference there. You also talked about not being able to have an orgasm until you gave up control, right? And that, so part of this practice is giving up control because you're not expecting an orgasm other than just pleasure. So is it that, is that how you giving up control works in this, in this practice?
3: Well, so from a, Hmm. from a brain perspective, essentially what happens is the cortex comes in and it's the part of the brain that's always sort of like thinking and judging and telling you, you know, um, that your desire is wrong or bad or that you can't have it, you know? So that's the part that sort of shuts down your involuntary and through owning, you actually, that part of the brain, you know, during orgasm that gets turned off during partnered orgasm, it turns off. So you, you're able to, um, control it in a way and what we know is that for women to achieve climax, they, you need to have that part of the brain turned off.
1: Okay. So there are some women who they, I don't want to be too crass here, but you know, they part of orgasming for them is being held down or even like tied up and things like that where like they don't have control and it makes it easier for them to orgasm. Is that coming from that same like neurological need there? Um, or is that just kind of like 50 shades of gray weirdness?
3: So I don't think it's weird. Um, I don't, I don't think anything's weird. Yeah, like
1: I I, trust me, I'm not going to judge anything. I'm the guy who yes. talks about, you know, not having orgasms for months on end. So it's cool. Right.
3: <laughs> I think it, that sort of goes along with, um, we have all these different preferences in sex yeah. and we have this idea of, of what it's supposed to look like and needing, um, you know, when you're, when you're not able to go into your involuntary, you need a lot more pressure. Like you need more dopamine essentially to be able to achieve that climax. So then you have to do sort of more and more um, like risky or sort of out of the ordinary things to be able to get to that place. But I think once you start owning, you can take a lot of that goes away because you're able to go into the sensation a lot more quickly and, and feel a lot more. So you don't, you don't need a lot of that extra stuff.
1: Okay. That being makes...
3: said, I mean, I, I think that all of those, everything, you know, the great thing about OM and One Taste and sort of this community is that everything is um, accepted and welcome and, and it's sort of you you get to play with all these different things.
1: There's no question. Lots of people are wired to like lots of different things. And, and yeah, none of them are particularly better than others. Uh, so don't want to imply that. All right. Here's the question that that would be in my brain if I listened to this whole uh, this whole podcast so far. All right, how often should women have an orgasm for optimal performance, and how often should men?
3: Oh, I think every day.
1: Daily for both. Yeah. Does it vary by age?
3: No, I don't think so. I think I think people should be having an orgasm every day. Okay. And, yeah.
1: Self administered or not.
3: No, no. So here's the other thing. And we, we didn't talk about this. Um, one of the things that we're looking at is what's the difference between self-stimulation versus partnered. And, and it looks like actually in the brain it's different. So during partnered orgasm, the cortex turns off. And, and ohm is a, that's why OM is a partnered practice. You can't take yourself out of control. So when you're doing self-stimulation or if you're masturbating, you're actually not getting that same relief and you're not getting the limbic connection. So, so it needs to be partnered to, to get that full surrender.
1: So it's really funny. I interviewed the CEO of Lyft. This is a, an app for the iPhone where people put habits in for productivity and it reminds you to do it every day. And the number one habit right now is floss. So people try and give themselves credit for flossing, and it just occurred to me that maybe like have sex <laughs>
3: might yeah, might be a better a- habit
1: than flossing. I I would make that trade off personally. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Totally. We <laughs> should get an orgasm
1: on there. Most definitely. I I think that you need to you need to reach out to him and do that. That's hilarious. <laughs> but um, okay, that's cool. There's a question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and. Given everything you've learned, not just in neuroscience or orgasm or anything else, uh, what are the top three recommendations you have for people? Given you all of your life lessons um, that you think they should know, in in terms of you know performing better, being more who they are, kicking more ass, the whole nine yards, like like the most valuable three nuggets ever.
3: Oh, that's huh. Okay, that's good. Um, let's see. I would say follow your um, gut. Follow your desire, how about that? Follow your desire, that's number one. Even when um, everyone else thinks you're crazy. Follow your desire. Um, Number two, I would say stay connected. Stay connected to to the people in your life. Even when it's difficult or even when you you don't want to. Um, Because we know that connection is the way to actually improve your life and improve your nervous system and, and actually train yourself. And three, I would say um, surrender to the things that you um, you think that you shouldn't do or that you think are bad or dirty. I think you should you do them and, and see what you learn.
1: Uh, that last one sounds like uh, Your Brain on Sex, that, that that book. I know you must have come across <laughs> yeah. it somewhere. Yeah. Yes. Got yeah. it. So, so give it a try. I, I like that last one. <laughs> awesome. Pooja, it's, it's been a real pleasure uh, hearing about your research and hearing about One Taste. Can you tell people where they can find out more about your research and more about One Taste, how they could potentially go to a class or learn just how to do this stuff?
3: Absolutely. So, our website is OneTaste, O N E T A S T E dot U S. And um, you can find information about classes and, and different offerings that we have on the website.
1: Great. And if people want to support the university level research you're doing there, is there any sort of website or thing they should see, or just everything should go to One Taste?
3: Um, they can come to One Taste, or they can they can go to the Rutgers website as well and look up the Rutgers Neuroscience Orgasm Laboratory. And Beautiful. There too.
1: thanks it's been so much fun chatting about this Uh, keep doing the work you're doing and I'm definitely going to send you some of that brain octane and you've got to tell me if it makes a difference that you can measure because I just want to (laughs) know
3: absolutely thank you
1: thanks bye
0: The human upgrade formerly bulletproof radio was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey